Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias in studio. Good to see you, Elias. I'm, uh, it's the last day of the quarter as we film this show, and it's been a little bit of a wild ride so far this year. Yeah, it has. Um, geez, I guess I looked earlier today. I'm not sure where the market is now, but yeah, it's been it's been volatile. But I think anyone following um, like financial media and news, some of the outlooks with like interest rate rises, and we're going to have a midterm election this year. It what's been going on should have kind of been expected, I think, just based on. Um, What's happened in the past, and, and especially with the forecasted interest rate rises, yeah, raises, think, excuse me. One of the thing that things that I've seen is um, interesting is if you still look at most clients' year-over-year portfolio returns. So if you just said, hey, I haven't paid attention the first quarter of this year. Let's just, how have I done over the last trailing 12 months? Most portfolios are still positive. Most portfolios over 12 months are not negative. Maybe on a three-month period, they're negative. But if you look at just 12, those portfolios are still positive. And those are the things that you want to get people to look to look at. On a quarter or year to date, it doesn't look so hot. And a little bit of that, the markets have come back um, here recently. But I think the other thing that the, the end of the quarter always sparks for me is we have like 15 to 17 days for people to file their year-end taxes. Yeah, the de- the deadline is fast approaching. And a common question we get this time of year, and it happens all the time, is there a way for me to save some money on my taxes? And one of the ways that you could potentially save a few dollars if you want to make a deductible IRA contribution is a spousal IRA. And a lot of people don't realize this. They, they forget that if their spouse is not employed, they're still eligible to make an IRA contribution because right. it's based off family household income. So if you're looking for a year-end tax strategy or I guess not calendar year, but tax year-end, you know, you can look at doing some type of a contribution to a spouse's IRA if they're not employed or eligible for a financial plan or eligible for a uh, employer-sponsored plan. And this is probably, I would think, saving some money for a a non-working spouse, that's probably a pretty important thing to do for families that one spouse is not working. Um, both I work, uh, my wife also works, so we're not in this situation. But I do think some of these rules and uh, some of the rules and the things that are allowed, I think, are favorable. And I th- it's absolutely something that you could uh, definitely look into, at least. I think the point of this is if you've got, um, so if anybody out there wants to do some last minute tax planning, now's the time to do it. You've got 15 to 17 days. You can still make contributions for last year. Just make sure you consult your financial advisor and your tax person to make sure what you're doing is eligible based upon your income limitations and contribution limits. That's really good advice. So at the last show, we talked about, we would go through how stocks had performed during the last six recessions. And we talked a little bit about there's a prediction of a recession. This week, the yield curve actually inverted, which doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a recession, but has been a likely indicator of recessions. The last time we had an inverted yield curve was in 2019. We didn't have a recession. 
but I think it's important to go look back at what history has taught us. And really the last recession that we had in the United States was the Great Recession. And that started in 2007 and ended May 31st of 2009. And it was, so this recession uh, called the Great Recession also referred to as the Great Financial Crisis. And at one time off the highs um, was 53.78% from peak to trough. So it was, I think for most investors, it was a pretty painful time. Um, I do want to just some thoughts about this um, since it's the first one we are talking about. And sometimes we talk about recency bias. And I actually had a conversation with someone the other day that it is possible to have a recession that's a little more normal. And we'll get as we go through this, we'll see some of that. Um but not every time a recession happens does it mean that it's the great financial crisis again. Because that was, I mean, that was, there was a lot more going on, right, than just a big stock market correction. We had, you know, a portion of the banking industry basically going bankrupt. And that's a major, that was a major cause um, cause for concern. This was actually the largest economic contraction since the Great Depression. In 2008. 2008. Yeah. Arguably, without a lot of Fed intervention, our financial system as we know it today would have been completely different. And the recession was not what tipped off or tipped the scales for the stock market to melt down. It was the other way around. The housing crisis caused the stock market to melt down and then caused a recession. So the recession recession didn't cause the stock market to go down. The stock market caused the recession. Interesting, if we compare it to today, the stock market isn't down. So if we actually go into a recession and the stock market goes down, it's a different cause and effect. The recession could cause the stock market to go down. And there's been times in history where we've seen this before. So I think that people think of that great recession. You made that point. They think of the great recession and they assume every recession in the future is going to be similar to this. And it's just not the case. We don't know what the causation of a recession will be to the stock market. I just know that the recession in 2008 was the cause of a stock market downturn, which was caused by an overheated housing market and arguably a little bit of irresponsible lending and lending practices that that led to that. So do you know, I'm also, I'm another thing I wanted to look at here. Do you know what did the VIX get to? I was just going to look it up in, um, during the COVID crash because I see, which in the VIX is kind of a measure of volatility in the market, and it peaked at 80.86. Do you know if that's a – okay, yeah, the article says that was a record high close. Do you know what it got to in March of 2020? So, Elias, that's actually a really good question. Um, I just went and pulled the chart up quick. It looks like on March 20th of 2020 – the VIX reached a high of 66.04%. And to level set, typically the VIX, the VIX is trading between 12 and 17. And it hit 66 on March 20 of 2020. The highest prior was during this, this period that you mentioned was something near 80. Otherwise, those are the two highest reads on the VIX in the last, arguably, you know, I've got max chart out here. 
20 years. Um, so that is a measure of volatility. And those are the two most volatile times we've seen in the last 20 years. And I, we probably should know. I mean, okay, so 2008, that was, I mean, that, that was a crisis. And that was bad. I would think, though, and so I guess during that time, I was just graduating high school. So I had no money invested at that time. I would think investors, though, that stuck it out. I mean, since the end of that, we've had a bull market since then. So to me, does that highlight does that highlight the uh, the importance of being a long term investor and sticking to it even when I get I guess here's my real question in my mind, if you can stick through that. I mean, don't, don't you think you can make it through another recession or something like that? I think the goal of this today is to make people not be fearful of this, fearful of right. the word recession. Everybody hears the word recession, they think all these bad things. Well, bad things will happen for a short period of time. If you look back to, we'll just use the Dow Jones Industrial Average from 2009 forward, the Dow Jones went down to around 6,000 points. Today, it's 35,000. So if you were opportunistic and said, hey, look, I see this as an opportunity versus a reason to be scared. Well, you turned, let's just say you bought $1,000, you turned it into 6,000. And you never had to make an investment decision. You just bought the Dow Jones index and you sat on the sideline and let it ride. So it's opportunistic. Same thing with COVID. The Dow went down to around 18,000. Now it's 35. You would have done just fine. And it's short periods of time. And short's relative. Could it be a couple of years? Absolutely. But typically, we haven't seen where stock market is negative for 10 years straight. It just it doesn't work that way. Um, the 2001 recession, which is actually relatively mild compared to 08, uh, began 13 months after the tech bubble. And I think people also forget what went into this recession was 9-11. People think, you know, that stock market sold off because of the tech bubble. That was part of it. Back in the 1990s, late 90s and early 2000s, if you had a dot-com behind your name, it was valuable, regardless of what your dot-com was. Because it was new, it was unknown. They were putting giant valuations on tech companies. And some of that today, you know, obviously some of the tech names have been high flyers and they've sold off. But... This recession really started March 24th. Um, and then again on September 21st, which was, you know, after 9-11. Um, but after each bottom, the Dow rose 16% before hitting a new low. Stock didn't hit, the stock market didn't actually hit their new low until October of 02, a year after the recession started. And from its peak, it fell 38%. So Elias, the third recession 1990 recession from July 1st of 1990 to February 28th, 1991. Um, so not quite a year. Uh, it lasted about the same length as the old one recession. Um, stocks were only down like 26%. So there's a much more moderate downturn in stocks. But I think the whole idea of what we're talking about is we've had all these different recessions and the stock market has just endured. It, it, over time it has and one thing i want viewers to understand maybe not understand but at least think about um and keep some and be open-minded to 
So here's a question I've asked a few people. Why in the long term do investors get better returns in stocks than other asset classes? Part of that is the risk they're taking, right? Because it's a riskier asset class. And when things like this happen, that's when it's hard and painful, right? At the bottom of 2020 and then the market just takes off from there. Well, investing's easy. So now it, it becomes a little painful. Well, you're rewarded for these times of pain in the long term because of better returns for the risk that you're taking. So I just want everyone to keep that in mind. Well, and one of the ways we get asked this a lot, how do I mitigate the stock market risk? There's only one way. It's time. The longer you're in, you start to mitigate your risk. So if you look yourself in the mirror and say, what's my time horizon? And most people have a false sense of reality of what time horizon means. Most people view time horizon as the day they retire. And that's not true. Your time horizon, arguably, unless you're just going to put it in the bank and lose all your spending power to inflation, your time horizon is when you die. Right. Unfortunately, we don't know what how that long is. you're going to be using the money to live off. Right. Of. That's your time horizon. Yeah. And that's what people need to think about instead of, man, year to date, my account's down 4% or whatever. Why does it matter? All of these times. In fact, our good friend, Brad, I was in the car with him the other day, Elias. And he started talking to me about inflation and Russia. He goes, but this time's different. I go, no. It's just what, like every other time. What was he saying is different? About he's just saying, it. you know, this is just different than all the all the other times. I'm like, no, it's not. We've had 1970s. That's one of the recessions in here. 1973 to 75. OPEC had the embargo against the U.S. on oil. Inflation started to creep in. They're talking about the same stuff. And every time there's a recession or something bad happens, everybody says to them, it's different this time. So, you know and what, the stock really? market does what? It goes higher. And I want everybody to think about this. Everybody right now can feel inflation. Everybody knows inflation's there. Thousand percent. Right? We all I feel it. Yep. Talked to my home builder the other day. Cabinet prices just went up seven and a half percent. Yep. Inflation's here. Someone asks, should I get out of the stock market? And this is the most simple answer every single person should think about. Do you believe prices of goods will be more in the future than they are today? It's it's hard to say no to that. Overwhelmingly, most people will say, yes, I believe the prices of things will be higher in the future. Well, how are price, prices of stocks determined? Earnings. If the cost of goods goes up, gets more expensive, earnings are going to go up too. Whether it offsets what the inflation is, is arguable, but the stock prices are going to continue to hire it, go higher as things get more expensive. Right. It's stocks still in the long term have proven to be a good hedge against inflation. The only way stocks would stay down for a long, long duration of time, like 10, 15, 20 years, if you actually believe the cost of things are going down in the future. Yeah, if you believe the cost of things are going down and you believe businesses are getting worse at making money. They're getting worse at making money and they're going out of business. People Seems are, unrealistic. When people are going to continue way. to, I think consumers are going to consume less. So could they go down the short term? Absolutely. But one of the reasons, if you look at the stock market over this long period of time, it's done well is because the price of things have gone up. We talked about on our previous show. 
go ask your parents or grandparents what they paid for their new house, for their first house, 30, 40, 50,000. Well, that's what people are paying for their new car today. The cost of goods are going to go up over time. I don't know if you happen to read the article, but Doug Wagner, the host of our um, live radio show on Tuesday night, sent over an article. Uh, and I think he got this from GoBankingRates.com. As inflation rates soar, many Americans are delaying life events. And it kind of leads into what we were just talking about. And the gist of this article, and if you want to get it, we can put a link on, on our website, btwellshow.com. But what it basically says is because people are spooked by inflation, they're delaying doing life events. So one of these was, what was the percentage? 28% of millennials have postponed or are considering postponing plans to hold a wedding. Well, as people postpone, the key word there is postpone. Doesn't mean cancel. As people postpone weddings, eat out less, drive less because of the cost of gas, um, all those things happen, it could in the short term cause prices of stocks to go down. But the key word was postpone. It didn't say I'm not going to have the wedding or I'm it's not still. going to go out to eat. And things will just get back in their regular rotation where we normalize to life. And in fact, 28% uh, expect current inflationary surge to be temporary. So at some point, 28% of these people said, I'm going to go back to normal life. And I, that's one thing I still think about is... I know we still have some supply chain issues and struggles to figure out. So it's hard to even know how much of that is contributing to inflation. And as that normalizes, will inflation slow down? Uh, but one of the lines in here, and it makes a lot of sense, um, guy, Mark Hackett, he's uh, chief investment, chief of investment research at Nationwide. It's And he is quoting this article. It's understandable that consumer sentiment is very low right now. And that's just like common sense, right? Everyone just sees the price of gas going up, the price of their foods going up. So of course the consumer sentiment is going down, but regarding how that should impact how people invest and where they invest their money, um, and maybe I'm too simple, but just in my mind, some of the best places to invest for long-term and build wealth, stock market, real estate, owning your own business. And I guess kind of the point of making like, there's limited options for how you're gonna build your wealth, right? So at some point, you just have to decide if you're going to be an investor, then you have to take a long-term perspective and, and buy quality investments along the way and hold them for a long time. It's just, it's part of it. I, I agree with that 100%. So Elias, one of the things you mentioned, consumer sentiment at basically a pretty low low time. And I, I was on Bloomberg earlier and it says U.S. mortgage rates soar reaching highest since late 2008. The average 30-year mortgage today, and I want you to look, what do you think the average 30-year mortgage rate is today? You want, you just want my guess? Yeah. Is it like 4% right now? 4.67. 4.67? 6, 7. So if you so think about far off, a really, year ago, think about it. a year ago, you were locked in a 30 rate for in the twos. At one point, yeah, I think like two, two eight, seven two five. Seven five. I have like a thirty that. year two seven five. Yeah, right. Um, which means we are gonna see five percent mortgage rates. The last time I remember a five percent mortgage rate was the first mortgage I took. That was in two thousand two. I took a five percent rate. I thought it was is like five point seven five. I thought it was awesome. 
the lowest rate I'd seen. And in fact, I was meeting with um, an attorney in town for breakfast today. And we were talking about this exact thing. You know what he told me? He goes, I spent more of my life in 9% interest rates than I have here. He's been an attorney for yeah, 40 years. He's for, like, oh. I spent more of my life seeing 9% interest rates than what we've seen here. And I said, yeah, that's a good point. I remember when I started looking at our financial planning software, what the default rates were for historical. We don't use historical figures in the software. We use a forward-looking projection because past history isn't all that accurate of a predictor. But in the software, if you were to use historical rates, do you know what the cash historical rate of return is? I think it's like 5%. It's 5%. Yeah. If I told somebody, you go tell someone today that, yeah, did you know cash over the long term's averaged 5%? They would just laugh. No one's seen 5% on a savings account for 18 years. I'll tell you the last time I saw it. I got into the industry. I started in 2002. I was still in college. In 2003, I opened an ING orange savings account. And there was a lot a high of flying savings account, wasn't it? Paid 5.75% interest, five and a quarter. That's what it paid for. interest. It was a great savings account, but it was cutting edge because it was only online. You had to do it online. There was no physical location. It was then bought by Capital One 360. So a lot of people now have Capital One 360 accounts. Those came from that ING Orange Savings. From, okay, I did not know that. That was the, or, that was the savings account to have people ask, where do you save your money? This was the place. It was even before like high yield checking accounts, high yield checking accounts, I think came to compete with that market. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just hypothecating, but think about the impact on borrowing. Somebody just took out a half a million dollar loan at two, seven, five versus Four eight five. That's two percent more a year. It's arguably a thousand dollars a month of their payment. I know it. It, it makes me speculate on because I do believe housing prices will keep going up. But then that's my next thought as well. If interest rates go up, is that going to slow it down? And it, that's I and I obviously can't predict that, and I don't know. But it's kind of an interesting. We're just had a really, I guess, an interesting time in the cycle because of that. Because now. Sorry, what's if that? you think about what rising rates or what the Fed's going to try to do with these rate increases, their goal is not to lower the price of a home, not to have a housing crash. Their goal is to say, look, maybe the appetite to buy a new home isn't as great. So there's less, there's more competition. So I just want you to think about this in your neighborhood. Let's say there's no homes for sale and you live in a really desirable place. You put it for sale because interest rates are two, eight, five and everybody can afford it. Boom. It's gone before anybody gets a chance. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yes. then all of a sudden interest rates are a little bit more expensive. So you list your house and it sits there. And then maybe somebody else lists their house and it sits there. Now we get a little competition and that'll start to kind of stem the rising prices of homes. You can go to popular vacation destinations and the day the homes list for sale, they're gone. Well, if there were three homes for sale in the same area, they wouldn't all sell in the same, same day and there'd probably be a little competition which would slow 
the increase in the price. And that's what interest rates are going to do. There's, there's going to be a certain part of the market that can't afford to go finance at 5% or finance what they wanted to at 5%. So it's probably reasonable to think the rate at which housing prices are increasing will slow down, but probably not to expect a housing crash. I mean, I don't know. We don't predict, but I would expect that the rate of increase would slow down. If you ever go check Zillow, interest rates are part of their algorithm to determine your estimated Zillow price range. Oh, really? So about a year and a half ago, I started tracking the value of my real estate. Partly because, you know, Jonas in our office always talks about how people don't go to Zillow and check the price of their house every day. I'm like, well, I'm going to go check the price of my house every day. So now that's what you do. So now I do. (laughs) But it was more of just an experiment. And literally the value of the estimated value of my property in one day went down like eight and a half percent. Well, because of an interest rate increase. Well, I didn't put it all together right away. Okay. Then I put it together. It was right at literally a few days after the Fed announced an interest rate hike. And then it went down again. It went back up and then it went down again. And interest rates have spiked again. So I think in their algorithm, they're factoring in rising rates because it becomes affordability issue. So what happens if you have a more expensive home? If you have a more expensive home and it starts to price people out, it moves down the spectrum. Like, oh, well, now maybe that person who could afford a half million dollar house is at 300. Right. There's less competition for to buy each house. To buy each house. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting dynamic. And I I read this and I was curious. It's higher than I saw the other day. I actually went out about a week ago and did a search of 30 year rates. I saw some that were over five. And to get the low rates, people having to pay one to two points origination to get those lower rates. So I think it's something that actually could drive the housing market faster for a short time because people are going to feel this rate getting out of reach. I want to get a rate lock. I want to get my place bought. And then we're probably oh, yeah. going to see the slowdown if it continues to go. But I mean, I, I we haven't seen 5% rates on a mortgage for a really long time. In fact, it hasn't been at 5% since 2011. If I read farther in this article, that was the last time we saw mortgage rates at 5%. Yeah, we're ba- and we're basically back there, close enough. Yeah, which arguably, if you're a retiree, higher interest rates may be better for you. Certainly, if you have a decent amount of bonds in your portfolio. I mean, they're not looking very good right now, but... Over the long right. term, if you get a higher yield on your investment, it may be better for you. So um, I just thought that was interesting as you talked about consumer sentiment. That's one of the reasons I think it's lowering is people are getting priced out of this housing market and they feel like they can't get anything. Go go talk. My aunt and uncle just bought a place in Arizona. My uncle been in real estate for 20 plus years. He goes, I'd never, ever seen a housing market like this. It was very, very difficult for them to get their home purchased. And he, when he says difficult, because a house comes for sale and it's sold. In an hour. Like instantly, yeah. basically. I think fortunately yeah. they got connected with the right realtor who went back to one of his previous clients who was going to sell. So they kind of got it before it hit the market. It's almost the way you have to do it. Otherwise, yeah, there's so much competition connected for connected to it. the right situation. Yep. So just an interesting take on consumer sentiment and kind of where things are headed. That said, I think that was a good kind of wrap up to what 
or how stocks have done during the last six uh, recessions. And the, the takeaway is it doesn't matter. Trying to time recession is like time to trying to time the market. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to end. Stay invested all the time. Have a good financial plan put in place. If you don't have one, you can go to btwellshow.com and get your one-page financial plan there. Uh, we'd be happy to help someone get started on this path to financial success and security. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. Do you have any closing thoughts, Elias? Um, I guess my closing thought would be there's probably enough good reasons to be have concerns about the things that are going to happen. But I think what's more important is stay confident in what you're doing and convicted in what you're doing. And uh, investors should have a long-term way of thinking about their money, not, not a short-term kind of trader's mentality. So that's kind of my final thought on that. I think it's great advice. If you're looking for some help, go to btwellshow.com. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.